So we're seven days into the new year. How many of you are keeping your resolutions? Well, today I want to give a sermon and hopefully offer some encouragement, but also some challenge about your resolutions. And if you say, well, I don't make resolutions, that's fine. My, my hope today is to reflect on Jesus' baptism and what claims it makes on our lives, our direction, our purposes, our character, the, basically the, the orientation of how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And so the, the first word of encouragement I want to give you is that God cares about your body. Again, God cares about your body. I know many people make resolutions about their physical health, and again, God, God cares about your body. And what gives sort of me the, the wherewithal to say that is I want you to really think about this baptism scene that happens. This is Jesus' sort of uh, superhero origin story. This is where we kind of figure out kind of that Jesus is really going to do something and it doesn't happen with Jesus sitting under a lotus tree, closing his eyes and having some thought in his head. No, this, is, this baptism is an experience in the body. Jesus has somebody else, John the Baptist, push his head down into the water. He feels that submersion. He feels the water kind of all over his hair and his face. And as he's lifted out, he sort of regains his, his breath and he sort of shakes his hair and kind of wipes his eyes. He sees the, the heavens being torn apart, which must have had such a thunderous sound. And then again, this voice that's just echoing in everybody's ears. And then coming down from heaven is this, this almost like bird. And it's the spirit, but, but even the spirit needs a body. And as Mark tells us, the, the spirit then goes into Jesus' body. There's something, again, in this, this telling of Jesus' baptism that uplifts the importance of our bodies and again, the, the human body for, for God's work here. Now, there are many ways in which you've probably heard sermons. I might have even given them about sort of the ways in which our bodies can lead us to sin or are sinful. And there is truth, obviously, to that. But the real problem is when the, the body and the spirit get separated, right? When the body and ultimately God's spirit start to move on different tracks. And so my, my challenge for you, for those of you that have a resolution involving your body, to think about a way to connect that resolution to your faith. So for instance, maybe if you have some goal of the number of steps you want to take, maybe as you're, you're walking, you set some of that time aside for, for prayer. Or maybe if some of you have a goal, and I won't ask who, to lose a certain number of pounds this year, for every pound you lose, I want you to give five pounds to the food bank of food. Right? Again, a way to connect your body and your spirit. Or maybe if some of you say, I'd, I'd like to pray more in this year, maybe there's a way to involve your body in that prayer, whether it's coloring or walking or even focusing on your breath. So again, your body matters to God, and, and, and I want you to hear this, this invitation, even this challenge to connect your body and your spirit. Now we know, though, that uh, 
no matter how many steps we take, no matter how many fitness classes we would go to, no matter how few processed sugars we'd eat, no matter how many non-GMO prayed over by Buddhist monks in Tibet, whatever tofu that we would eat this year, we know how our body's going to go. Right? There, there, there's, one, there's one way we're all going. Uh, and so we know that we can't uh, live forever. In fact, this week I was really, really hit because a person that I know and care about was, was diagnosed with cancer. Again, a reminder that our, our bodies aren't forever. But, but even here then, we, we think about the, the work of Jesus Christ, who in the body goes to die and then in the body is raised up. But that, that new body of Jesus is one that has totally, totally been transformed by the Spirit of God. But again, after the resurrection, what is, what is Jesus doing? But he's eating. And it turns out eating is a pretty bodily thing. Again, God cares about the body, and God even intends for us to have a new body, a body that is totally infused with God's Spirit. And if that sounds too abstract, a body you don't need to stretch at night and a body where you don't need to count your steps. Again, in your baptisms, you're given a promise, a promise that one day, indeed, in spite of the fact that the body we have is mortal, that we will be given a new body, one that is totally in concert with God's Spirit and is ready to praise, praise the living Lord. Well, if I'm going to talk about bodies, I've got to talk about judgment because to just talk about bodies, most of us feel a sense of shame and guilt about our bodies. And again, I want to talk about uh, judgment. And so my word of encouragement for you, whatever resolution you had, is that what other people think of you doesn't matter. Really, what, what other people think of you, it, it really it, it doesn't matter. There's a story now, again, of, of Jesus' baptism and if you notice in this story, all of these people are coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist. Like, everybody's there. And not one person stops Jesus and says, Jesus, tell me about yourself. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, pray for me. Not one person there knows who Jesus is. Again, the opinion of the world, Jesus doesn't matter yet. But there's this, this voice, this voice that comes from heaven, and the voice says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And here we hear the voice that finally matters, the voice of our creator, the creator of the universe, who has declared Jesus to be the beloved child. The really strong word of encouragement isn't just that other people's opinion doesn't matter. The real word of encouragement is that God is judge. But I couldn't come out right away and tell you that because for most of us, we don't like the idea of God as judge. And part of the reason why is because we've all encountered really judgmental religious people. And, and this week, in fact, I heard a story that it, it might have actually won the prize for, for most judgy religious people. It, it, may actually, it may have actually taken the gold medal. Again, we, we encounter judgmental people in our lives, and so the last thing then we want is a judgy God. Like, this seems like the last thing we want. And so we sort of have said, okay, God, we don't want you to be judge anymore. But in the place of God as judge, we've handed that role over to everybody else 
to the people online, to our bosses, to the neighbor down the road, to our coworker, to, again, all sorts of people in our lives, and we live worried about, over-worried about what they think of us. And so the good news, again, is, and the word of encouragement is that finally, God is judge. Because, again, what we do, too, with our, with our resolutions is we set up these goals, these kind of arbitrary goals we made at some party between the holidays, and then we evaluate our lives based on how we scored up to them. Again, those judgments are not final. The final judgments are of those of the Lord. And the reason why that is good news is, of course, God can punish us however God would like, but God is the only judge the only judge in this universe who has promised to be merciful. I can guarantee that your bosses, your teachers, the kids at your lunch table, your coworkers, the random person down the road, or your second cousin twice removed, they have not promised to be merciful judges of you. They might be kind, but ultimately you have no security that their judgment won't turn on you that they won't begin to look at you in disfavor or to talk behind your back. It is only in the waters of baptism that we hear this word, this word of the creator that was for Jesus becomes a word for us, that we too are beloved children. Again, this is what your baptism means for you, that you know you are a beloved child of God, and there's nothing there's no sin, not even your death, thanks be to Jesus Christ, that can change that. So again, the good news, the real encouragement is that God is your judge and God has already delivered the verdict. But the word of challenge, and I think the, the resolution always, always then for us has to do with some formulation of this year, I'm going to let God be my judge. This year I'm going to seek to live my life as God's will would have it, and then to recognize that that is, that is not only the standard, but that is the one and the only one to whom I must give an account. The third piece of encouragement that I would like to offer you today is that God cares about your neighbor's body too. Again, God cares about your neighbor's body as well. In the baptism of Jesus, today I, I read just a few more verses in Mark's gospel. And I read the temptation story where Jesus is cast into the wilderness. And a lot of times we hear the baptism of Jesus right around the new year. And we hear the temptation story in the beginning of Lent. And we don't realize that the Bible actually puts those two stories together. That God says to Jesus, you're the beloved, now go get him, son. That's how it works. This isn't like God says, okay, well, now you're my beloved child, so now let's go to a Mediterranean resort and, and enjoy some fine wine on the, on the ocean view. No, the baptism of Jesus sends him out to confront the forces of evil in this world. And Jesus isn't doing that for Jesus' self. The forces of evil cannot ultimately harm Jesus. He will, is the eternal Son of God. But Jesus does this for our sake. Indeed, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for his sake. Jesus is baptized for our sake to begin a process of 
taking on our sin and destroying death. There's a fundamental way in which connecting the temptation and the baptism reminds us that the orientation of life in Christ is always then towards the neighbor and against the forces in this world that oppose God and God's purposes. And so then my word of challenge for you is as you thought about this year ahead and your goals, again, maybe particularly resolutions, but as you think about how you're hoping to live your life in this upcoming year, how does your neighbor fit into that? If you, if you did everything that you wanted to do, or again, as you think about how you're headed, how does that impact those around you in this world? Hmm. I was reading in the Lancaster paper this week, uh, some people had their hopes for the upcoming year, and one of them was somebody who was talking about how they wanted peace in the Middle East, uh, and their faith led them to, to say this, but they kind of said, well, I know that's not going to happen, but I kind of still hope for it. This whole advent, we were talking about peace, and I think all of us recognize that the world is not yet the way the world should be that the world still has demons dwelling in it and even in our own hearts that again cause all of these conflicts. We know too that 2024 in U.S. politics promises to be another super contentious and difficult year. And so I, I wonder and I challenge you as you think about the year ahead, what are the ways in which those of us who know that we're children of God are challenged challenge sent out, cast out into a wilderness world, and what are the ways then in which we're called to practice peace and to build a more peaceful community and restitch again that fabric back together. The baptism of Jesus touches the body, the relationship with God, and ultimately then with the broader world. And if we're going then to reflect on our relationship with our own bodies, with our creator, and with our neighbors, then we're going to realize pretty quickly that we fall short of the mark. So we're going to have to come week after week, and we're going to have to confess our sins. Confess our sins that, again, in terms of our bodies, our relationship with God, and our relationship with our neighbors, that we have not done all that we were called to do, that there's a distortion. And the reason, though, why we do the confession and forgiveness, why I stand at the baptismal font, is so that as we confess our sins, we can begin knowing that there's already a God who loves us, who's listening to us. And that once again, our sins this week can be drowned, can be drowned in those waters of baptism. And we can be raised up once again in new life, to get out there and fight <laughs> with humility and with love against the powers of destruction. Amen.